The greatest foot race on earth is this weekend, the World Cross Country Championships, and the men's race is absolutely loaded. Joshua Chepagai versus Jacob Capulimo versus Selman Borrega versus Jeffrey Camor. Jonathan Galt is on a plane right now to Australia. Plus, you got Heather McLean and Emma Coburn on the Team USA 4x2 relay. Leo Young, Irene Riggs. There's only one way to get the inside scoop. That's to be a Let's Run.com Supporters Club member. Join today. We'll have live podcast from Australia. You get all the exclusive Let's Run content. Big savings on running shoes. And a super soft t-shirt if you join for a year. Let's Run.com slash subscribe. And if you need a VPN to watch the latest sports track and field action, there's only one that we use, NordVPN. Go to letsrun.com slash VPN, link in the show notes for both these things to get the latest best offer, letsrun.com slash VPN. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. We've got a huge show for you today. So much happening in the world of running right now. The 2023 Milrose Games are in the books, and we've got another American record by Yared Nagus, as well as American and collegiate records in the 3000 by Alicia Monson and Caitlin Tui. Josh Kerr won a stacked men's 3K to send Rojo home devastated, and Christian Coleman took down Noah Lyles. In the 60, we're also going to look forward to Wednesday's leave-in meet in France, which might be even more stacked than Milrose. Jakob Ingebrigtsen, Grant Fischer, Marcel Jacobs, Keely Hodgkinson, Mondo Duplantis, and many more will be in action over there. And we will have an early look ahead to this weekend's World Cross Country Championships in Australia. We'll have boots on the ground starting bright and early Thursday morning. That's going to be a fantastic race. Guys, I can't remember the last time I was so excited about the sport. Feels like everything's popping off right now. This is Jonathan Gold. I am joined by my co-hosts, the co-founders of Let's Run.com, Robert and Weldon Johnson. Robert, you as excited as I am right now? Excited. Absolutely, John. 
I don't think there's ever been more going on in track. Like Milrose was amazing. And then I found out about this leaving meet last night. Oh my God, I stayed up to 2 a.m. writing up a preview. I'm so, this might be the best indoor track meet I've ever seen. And then World Cross Country. Always my favorite race of the, I was going to say of the year, unfortunately, every other year, in this case, every four years. And today's Valentine's Day, John. Happy Valentine's Day. I am skipping World Cross Country to celebrate it with my wife. Our child was conceived in February. Our biological ticks are expiring, and I would not have given up this trip with you, John, unless tonight was going to be absolutely amazing. Wow. I wish you two a magical evening, Robert. <laughs> Hope your wife well, is a happy Valentine's Day, everybody. <laughs> Just kidding, folks. But it's going to be an amazing podcast. I also want to talk, you know, I like to liven it up a little bit. Which pros should have their pro card stripped after Melrose, if any? And I'll ask the difficult questions no one will ask else should ask. Should Mario Garcia, Romo, and Holly Hoare leave the On Athletics Club? Oh my God. I mean, that's that's not a difficult question. That's just a stupid hot take artist question, prisoner of the moment. Robert, I I respect your track opinions. I think you're pretty smart. You know what you're talking about. To even suggest something like that, I feel like you're just reacting in the moment to the results of one race where they both still set national records. Do you really want to start the show with the men's mile at Milrose? I mean, I, I did put up an elaborate post on the message board that has perhaps one of the greatest posts I've ever made in Let's Run history because has 127 upvotes, only three downvotes, defending Dathan Ritzenheim and his coaching. But at the same time, I'll ask the difficult questions. You think I'm only going for hot takes? I'm being somewhat serious here. Look, the men's mile was amazing. Gear Nagus, the guy that I that I loved, the guy that we had on the podcast, he did it again. I mean, absolutely amazing. 347 mid. and 347.38, American record by... More than two seconds. He's the number two performer all time indoors. But what was so special about this race, it starts off, we knew it was going to be fast. The pacing was perfecto. I mean, Eric Sawinski hit 152.99 like on a, like a metronome. And my only complaint was I wish that, that I was like, they might need a little bit more than 800 meters. Might be good if he could make it 1,000 or 1,200. And then the pace really lagged on that on that third four hundred, and I was like, oh, "Okay, they're not going to get the record. You know, how fast is the time going to be?" But the last four hundred and just the last lap when Nagus just destroyed those guys. I mean, it was just I was found myself screaming at the television. It was so impressive, just to blow them away like that, and then get the time back almost. I mean. It, Really amazing. It was nuts, Robert, watching it because Nagus, he sort of eased to the lead. He went by Mario Garcia Romo and Oli Hoare. I'm like, all right, he's feeling pretty good. But Nagus always looks pretty relaxed, right? Just he's got that long loping stride. And then when they hit the bell, he had a little bit of a lead, but then you could just see his expression shifted. He starts running with power. I haven't seen in him for a while. And he ripped that last. 200 meters 
uh, you know, 25 point. It was disgusting. Like if you look, the crazy stat I found was he broke the American record for the indoor 1500 as well. And that was also an on route time. It was Lagat. Lagat had the old American record in the mile, 349.89. Nagus crushed that. He only narrowly beat the American record in the 1500. He only beat that record by 0.12. And that just shows you how fast Nagus was running at the end. He put more than two seconds on Lagat's ghost because Nagus was running. 328 mile pace for his last 109 meters while Lagat was running 403 mile pace. And that's really what stuck out to me. Look, times, we know that times are in general faster in pretty much every distance race in the year 2023. This wasn't on the BU super track, but you know, the armory is not, a, I wouldn't call it a slow track. But what was most impressive was he crushed some of the best guys in the world in this race. He won by more than two seconds. Neil Gawley was second, 349. That's the number six all-time indoors. Ollie Hoare ran the same time he ran at Milrose last year, 350.83. And Ollie Hoare was one of the best milers in the world last year. Nagus beat him by three and a half seconds. Mario Garcia-Romo, who was fourth at Worlds last year, he was in fifth. He was four and a half seconds behind Nagus. It's not just running 347. It's 347 with a 54-2 and a 25 last 200. That's the kind of performance I said afterwards that wins medals, maybe a gold medal one day. I was that impressed by this run. Well, gold medal talk, John, for an American distance runner. It still sounds crazy in my mind, even though it shouldn't. Matthew Centrowitz. <laughs> Matthew Centrowitz, 2016, 1,500 meters. But before this race... I talked to Ollie Hoare, and I was like, championship racing is so different. Why do you think that is? And he's like, I think it's the Matthew Centrowitz effect. Fact. Centro, to his credit, won the gold medal, but he did it in such a slow race, John. 350? 350.00. Oh, it's perfectly symmetrical, and I didn't know it's 350.00. I mean, we're not going to see an Olympic final like that. We may never see one that slow. But championship racing has changed. But this thing was a yeah, it was a thing of beauty. Well, once the pace lagged, I need to go back and see but I, I I just don't I can't think of a race like this where it went out quick, completely lags, and this is indoors, it's a bit different, and then just hammers home and still gets the records. Your stat with Lagat there is crazy, right? He puts nearly two seconds on Lagat and a hundred. And that's kind of what happened here with Hoare. I mean, Ollie Hoare really faded the last, you know, 200 meters, 100 meters. But this ball game's changed, and people pointed out Nagus is running the 1500 in Madrid next week. He, he could leave that one with a world record. Now, you kind of got two different guys chasing the world record here because Jakob Ingebrigtsen conceivably is going to try to be the first guy sub-330 indoors on Wednesday. It's crazy nobody's done that. I don't think of that as that fast of a time. I think we, we, we've seen that people can run really fast indoors. Yomif Kajelcha is not a miler. He's got the mile world record holder. I mean, that thing is just primed to go. I think we're primed to have someone go significantly under 330. So, but 
when the iron's hot strike, man, keep going. This is going to be great. Do you think that gold medal talk, though, do you think that's out of bounds, or do you think that's how good he could be? It's not out of bounds. This is a guy that, as a freshman at the University of Notre Dame, two freshmen split 356 and kicked down Grant Fisher. As a sophomore, he won the NCAA title. As a junior, was it a junior year, John, or senior year? He set the NCAA record alone in a race with no rabbits, right? Yeah, that was his fourth year. And he's the guy, I mean, Robert, when did you start praising him? Robert kept saying, look out, Yared Nagus will make the 2020 Olympic team. And people thought that was crazy, but was he already an NCAA champion yeah. at that point? Why would it be crazy to think an NCAA champion could make the Olympic team, John? People, We acted like that was some brave hot take by Rojo. Because he hadn't run super fast to that point. He had won close tactical races, but he hadn't run the 334 in the ACC prelims. So when he won NCAAs the first time, what was the time? It was like 340 or something. It wasn't some crazy hot take. It was feasible. But the thing that we th- I thought was a bit absurd was Robert saw Nagus win the ACC cross-country meet in the fall of 2020 and was like, that was the performance of everything he had done that convinced him he was going to make the Olympic team. He was proven right, though. As good as this guy's been, can someone tell me how he bombed the NCAA cross-country when he went back for the final year? So much like Jenny Simpson is crazy. Like this guy was a good cross country runner. He's now run seven twenty eight and three thousand. He goes to the NCAA's his final year and can't even. I guess Cooper Tier couldn't finish in the top one hundred either. But in terms of the gold medal top, let's get to our text message of the week. This race finishes, and I get a text from my favorite supporters club member. If you're not a supporters club member, join today. Let's run dot com slash subscribe because we're going to have kick ass shows. At least one show from Australia. Bonus podcast. I think we're going to record it Thursday night, U.S. time. Probably another one after the race. Well, hell, Weldon and I may even do a podcast after leaving when these world records go. But my favorite supporters club member, Ross McGowan, who I coached at Cornell, says, right away, John, it's not unconceivable Nagus could hang with Jakob and now kick him. Ross is spot on here, Robert, because this is what I thought. I'm like, how did Jake Wegman beat Ingebrigtsen last year. He just hung on and he had a better close in the last 200 meters. That's kind of what Nagus did here. Now, I don't think Jakob Ingebrigtsen in a world championship final would let the third lap, the third 400 slip to 59 like it was in this race. That's the difference between Ingebrigtsen is he's strong enough to push that third 400. But that's the recipe. You get strong enough to be able to hang, and then you hope you have a little bit better closing speed than Ingebrigtsen uses at the end. It's really, really hard to do that. It's hard to run 329 after three rounds of a championship final. And Nagus, let's remember, health has been an issue for him the last couple of years. He didn't start the Olympics in 2021. He was injured in the spring of 2022, which led to him not making the team in the 1500 last year. So we haven't seen him he ran three rounds of the U.S. Olympic trials, but we haven't seen him run a step at a global championship. But the race he did today, if you can run something like that in a world championship final, yes, you're going to be contending for a gold medal. And what's interesting, though, is I responded by saying, this is just so amazing that we're talking about this. Because, I mean, we expect the to contend for a medal, not gold medal. 
it's a different ball game when you're running kind of for the gold, even though I know Central won the gold. But I was wondering, is there any way that Nagus being added to the picture could help Jakob? Because the two of them could push the pace. Neither one of them is real super speedy 800. They push it together and they drop the likes so someone like a Whiteman has no chance. But I, if you're Yari, if you're Yari, we're jumping way ahead here. If you're Yari Nagus, I wouldn't do that. I'd be like, I know Jakob likes to run fast. Why would I help him push the pace at all? Let him push the pace and then pass him. Well, it's the ultimate prisoner's dilemma. I don't understand why Jakob likes to actually get the lead. When one of these Kenyans is running fast enough, just let him take it. Run from behind. Because, yeah, why would anyone want to take it? Why would you want to do the work? You answer, you don't. So No, the answer, the answer is he thinks he's better than everyone and that he can run away from them. And he did do that in the 5,000 final. Like, he has well-earned confidence, but you have to be significantly better than everyone for that tactic to work. Yeah, and let's remember, Jakob last year, he's going to run leaving in what, tomorrow. He opened up in 330, in, indoor world record. He opens up, with, which is basically a 347 mile. So he opens up in a performance like the Goose just did with rabbits, pacing, everything. So, I mean, Nagus isn't Jakob yet. May never well be, but I, I talked about the OAC and, the, and what impact this has on them. And I, I texted Ross immediately. I said, imagine if you're Mar- Mario Garcia Romo or Ali Hoare. You, have, you, mu- you must realize now that you have no chance unless this kid, Yair Nagus, gets hurt, which, by the way, does happen all the time. And I was serious. Like, if you're them, do you want to leave the group? And John's like rolling his eyes, thinking this is a hot take. I'm not. And Ross wrote back with a very fascinating text. And I had to call him this morning because I haven't watched the show. The Ingebrigtsen show, you know, if you haven't watched it, the Norwegian television made a show about the Ingebrigtsens. I mean, Ross McGowan said the best. It's amazing. We have footage of Jakob Ingebrigtsen as like a 10-year-old running. Like they were following the crazy running family. And then the 10-year-old little kid becomes the one of the greatest runners in history. But he said that there was an episode, John, you've watched it, in one of the final episodes, there was an episode one of the final shows of the series where Philip Ingebrigtsen, Jakob's older brother, who's won a world championship bronze medal in the 1500, says to the camera, I wake up every day dreaming I'm going to win the gold medal, thinking I'm going to win the gold medal, trying to motivate myself that that's a possibility, yet I'm just getting destroyed every day in practice by my own brother. Like It's really hard to convince yourself that, that I'm going to win the gold, and it's depressing. So you saw the show. Why, If you're a whore in Garcia Romo, why wouldn't you be thinking this? Have did you watch anything Ollie Hoare did last year, Robert? Ollie Hoare ran 347-4 in the mile outdoors. He beat the world champion Jake Whiteman in the 1500 at the Commonwealth Games in a fast race, 330. Okay, he bombed at the world outdoors, but he was one of the best guys on the circuit all year long. He's proven that he can run well in these fast races. Okay, he got beat in this race. Yes, he needs to raise his game, but he lost one time to this one guy who's never even run a world championship or an Olympics, and now you're saying he needs to bail on the group? It's just such a ridiculous overreaction. Mario Garcia Romo was steps away from meddling at the world championships last year, and now because he got beat in one race in February, he needs to bail? I just think you're totally, totally overreacting. Like, 
for all we know, Yard News could be Alan Webb. He ran some really, really fast races and never came close to a medal on the global stage. Like, I just think this is such an overreaction. My takeaway is the group dynamic is going to change, John. Before the race, always like, we're all mates, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait, these guys have never raced. And the OAC has done a fabulous job in, what, two and a half years? Gotten a lot of attention. One, for a couple reasons, we can talk about this. They race a lot. But two, you have to have the performances backing it up. If you're racing a lot and not doing well, it doesn't matter. But they're sort of the more Nike Oregon project model than the Bowerman. Bowerman doesn't race that much. Nike Oregon raced all the time and performed well. In terms of publicity, that's what the, st- the media wants. That's what people want. Racing a lot and racing well. They're doing fabulous. But stuff's changed. Because when this group started, look, who did they have? They had Ollie Hoare, sort of, he was like the international guy hoping to break out. What did he do at the, like, so what, he's make, making the Olympics, doing well in Diamond Leagues. Nothing fabulous, right, the first year. Wouldn't you say, John? Yeah, he was good, but he wasn't at the level he was at, at last year. Right. So last year, though, John, he doesn't make he doesn't make the world's final, but then Diamond, then Commonwealth Games gold, where he does beat the world champion. But John, who was missing from that race? Jakob. Jakob. But I guess wait, Chariot. The Kenyans were there, John. Both of them, right? I think Kip Sang was there too. Yeah, it was. A, it was a. Really strong feel. And then these two other young guns joined the group. Now it's got three of the top, for sure, 10 milers in the world. Just a different... It's the top mid-distance group in the world, I think. The dynamic has changed. Where do these guys go? But if we rewind the clock a bit, because I'm always like, well, I'm used to Nagoose kicking my ass. And we're like, wait. And that's true. If you go back to like 2018, when this group was found, was anyone thinking Ollie Hoare is going to be like a great, one of the world's great milers? I, I don't think that's what you would have put on him. He'd won one NCAA title in 2018. 2019, granted it's a slow race. Let's look at the 2019 NCAA final. First place, Yard Nagus, 341.39. American Justin Kippertich, right? Second place, yep. 341.39. As far as we can tell, Justin Kipertich made this podcast the last two weeks. His wife just beat Molly Seidel at a race. As far as we know, I don't even think he's in the sport anymore. Can this guy start competing again? Justin, please get back in the sport. Look at this race. Third place, Cameron Griffith of Arkansas. I think he's Australian. What is he, John? Yeah. Fourth place, Ollie Hoare. William Paulson. I mean, like, it's a slow race, granted. But, like, from that race, you're not thinking, wow, Ollie Horse, just some unbelievable talent. And also, I think we used to play up some of these Kenyan guys, the Kiprops of the world. We used to go to these finals. You would have one or two 1,500 meters who were significantly faster than the rest of the world. This goes back to El Garouche, Kiprop. Chariot for a while. I think the game has changed. The Kenyans are off their thing, and now maybe there was some doping involved as well with Kiprop and stuff. You now, the alpha dog still, I think, is Jakob Ingerbitsen. And the question is, is he a second or two faster than everyone? And I think that may not be the case anymore. 
I think he still may be. But these other guys are clipping at his heels, and it makes it so much interesting when five, six guys are in contention for the title. And they're pretty fast. Definitely. Now, the one thing I will say, Robert, to Ross's point, is if it turns out that Yard is just kicking Ollie Hoare's ass in practice for the next year, and he's consistently beating him in races, at that, at that point, then maybe you do think, oh, is this, do I still want to be around in this environment? Because... Since joining the group, Ollie Hoare's career has taken off. He had a breakout year last year. He's still pretty fit right now. But yeah, if you are just training with a guy and you're like, oh my God, this guy's way much, way better than I, when I, than I am, then maybe you think about, okay, do I need to change something? But I don't think they're close to that yet. No, not yet. Of course not. But the psychology of these groups is something that's always interested in me. And at Cornell, like one of my top, my top miler took a year off and this other kid, Got really good when he when he could be the alpha there for a minute, but you know, like the Bowerman, I, I've always been aware they don't want too many people in the same event group from the same country because it's confusing. OAC did a good job of getting people from different countries, but it, there's only so many people that can be on top of the podium, so it's kind of hard necessarily to train together. Now, you know, we we even saw it with Sinclair Johnson. She told Weldon at Melrose this week, "I didn't want to be doing watered down workouts that were designed." for Elise Cranny and Carissa Schweizer or, or, or Schweizer, or Gabriella Debut Stafford. Yeah. yeah. So well, if you're time in this it group, like, it, it gets back to the David Holby point why David Epstein wrote sports gene. Again, you've got a group of people they're all doing the same training and then it comes down to just who's the most talented. So if I'm them and this continues, I either want to have my own workouts or work out on different days or do slightly different things or do it or, or, or join, you know, you know, a, a different group. Anyways, this started a thread on Let's Run. Is Ritzenheim becoming the best endurance-focused mid-D coach? And someone posting under the name Daddy Ritz said he was working with guys that were bu- bu- on the bubble of being world-class, but now they're all performing on the day, on the same day. And the same thing last week. He helped Garcia Romo to finish in PR at Worlds. He helped him show up on that day. And talking about all this stuff. And I just thought this was a ridiculous post. Like, Ritz is doing a great job, but we, we, we don't give him credit for Mario Garcia Romo. Ryan Van Hoy coached him to fourth at Worlds and 330 before he became a. I mean, I know he was technically a member of the OIC, but Rich was not coaching him. With no altitude training, training in Mississippi. Mario Garcia Roma ran 330, which is equivalent to 347 mile, by the way, and finished fourth in the Worlds. So I said, let's pipe down a little bit. You could argue that Ritz has taken Mario Garcia from fourth in the world and 347 flat in the mile to fifth at Melrose and 351.8 in the mile in the span of five, six months. Okay. I'm going to step up and give Ritz credit here though because look on first of all one of the key components you don't get this kind of success without talent they've splashed cash signing a bunch of NCAA champions but not every NCAA champion pay, pays off some of them are good but I would look at some of the athletes on this roster like Alicia Monson I don't think I ever thought she was going to be this good running 825 almost winning a diamond league you know, for, she's in the 14, low 1430s for 5K. Sage Herdeklecker, she went from 
she was an NCAA, cha- NCAA champ in the mile in 2021. She got beat outdoors in the 1500s as a senior. Last year, she's third in the Diamond League final in the 800. I didn't think she'd ever be that good. Joe Klecker never won an NCAA title. He got screwed a little bit by COVID, but now he's run 734, 1254, beat Grant Fisher to win USA's. Ollie Hoare is one of the best milers in the world. A lot of these guys are hitting a ceiling that I wasn't sure was there for them coming out of college. And I think you have to give some credit to Ritzenhain. Yes, they are based in Boulder, which you're training at elevation. That helps. I'm sure the shoes are quite good. They seem to be competitive with the Nike shoes. But I think you got to credit the coach when so many of these athletes, they were NCAA champions, but I don't think that we, th- I didn't think some of them would be this good. Yeah, I was playing devil's advocate, John. They, they've done an amazing job. This guy was like, oh, but they peaked perfectly. I'm like, look, Ritz had made it. They had a terrible world. Hoare didn't make the final. Monson lost to the likes of just Judd and Rurika Hironaka of Japan. She was 13th. But I, I said, like, what I most like about Ritz is he's passionate. He actually lives in the same town as around his athletes full time. You think being with your athletes full time would be a requirement of coaching these elite groups, but it's not. Jerry's not with them all the time. Julian's hardly ever with them. And, you know, whatever. So I said, he's in the same town. Plus, he's open and welcomes attention from the media, which I love. And he likes to have them race. And after Worlds, they didn't just wallow in pity. Monson rocked the 3K, Hor won the Commonwealth Games, etc. And plus, when you're a middle distance group that likes to, and you're US based and you like to race, you're going to get a lot of publicity indoors. You know? Yeah, can you imagine the indoor season without this group? I mean, I guess we would have had a Woody Kincaid, but like... Yeah, but Woody Kincaid, why was that race fast? It was because they wanted Joe Klecker to break sub-13. I mean, obviously Woody ran the time, but they helped make that race exciting. I'll give him some credit there. I guess we would have had Laura Muir when the Milrose want to make her mile. Like, indoors would be so less impressive. Milrose would have been so less impressive. The OAC is the winners of the indoor season, and Ritz deserves yeah. a lot of credit for it. He, sure, they went for first-rate talent. They might have got them a little cheap on the COVID. Sort of identified, wait, these guys are NCAA champions. They're not going to have a season. Let's sign them now. But Hor was like, we're breaking the bank of the OAC because I'm sure the contracts are really structured with a lot of money for bonuses, and they're just blowing these bonuses out. Great for them. Great for On. We shouldn't get too carried away, though. Like, you know, maybe we're learning... I think the, these records should be much faster, right? A 330 race outdoors, you don't completely freak out about. We also should, I don't think we should get too carried away with Nagus beating Hoare and saying, oh, that's how it's always going to be. Maybe, maybe that's proven to be the case. But when you talk to Ollie Laughter, he's like, look, I ran 347 outdoors. And he made it sound like I'm not quite in the fitness that I was outdoors. So he's like, look, this isn't peak Ollie Hoare. What matters is outdoors. Big, yeah, big picture. But if Nagus can smash a world record and get American records, it, that matters too. You know what I'm saying? But not to the same extent. Right. They still have zero medals. And that's something that they're obviously going to want to change. I think they have athletes who are capable of winning medals on their team. But that's a... I mean, you look at Bauman Track Club, Nike Oregon Project, two of the great American-based groups of the last decade. They won medals on the big stage. All right, let me say one last thing about your Nagus. And defending Nathan Ritzenheim. 
before we move on to other areas. We can't do just the OAC, the Goose fan club. I have told the sculpture, sculpture John, to not build the, the Ritzenheim sculpture just quite yet. Van Hoy needs one too. But anyways, they win a medal, we can just do Ritz. But Jonathan Marcus, a fellow white Ivy League graduate like ourselves, he used to have a podcast with Steve Magnus. I don't know if they still do. He's put out a tweet, a whole Twitter thread questioning Yared Nagus. Got some, he's got a picture of Nagus and some analysis of his form and et cetera. And he says, among other things, Nagus is performing at a superhuman level all of a sudden. But unlike a Bolt or Rudisha, his biomechanical profile doesn't support his performance level. Healthy skepticism is valid. His biomechanically unsound superhuman feats are in the company of Salazar, NOP, Lance, Team Sky, etc. And this thread set me off. Robert, this guy's a troll. Can we not even give him attention? Why does anyone care what he has to say? I'm not interested in it. I'd rather just not discuss it at all. Well, John, I, I do think we're, we're going to have to put this video clip out. I mean, I've never seen John get this disgusted with the eye roll he, and this sort of stuff. What happens is he will tweet some nonsense once a month. People on the internet freak out about it. Who cares? Who cares what this guy has to say? John, I agree. I agree with not giving Jonathan Marcus attention, but we can still discuss these issues because the issues are out there, right? Before the meet started, I, I, I talked to some overseas people and they were like, Beforehand, they're like, oh, Ritz, OAC. They are very skeptical of the group because of the association with Alberto Sal with Ritz's past association with Alberto Salazar. I was sort of shocked. I'm okay with discussing that issue. If you want to take that tack, I think that's okay. Like when anyone runs super fast, there is going to be some questions inevitably. Yes, Dathan was a part of NOP under Alberto Salazar. But I just don't like the idea. Like, He's writing a post saying, this guy's running form isn't good enough. Something else must be driving the improvement. And essentially, you know, suggesting that that would be performance-enhancing drugs. I don't know. I don't... I'm just really not interested in what Jonathan Marcus has to say about anything. I think that's fine. But also, I think it's okay to, like, counter these arguments. One... I think let's ask questions about writs and supplements and that sort of stuff because other people are like, oh, I assume gray area stuff is going on. I'm sick of that shit. I want athletes to be transparent about all this stuff, and I think it's okay to ask Ritz, hey, Alberto was all about the gray area. You were caught up on that. What's going on with your group? Do you guys go see endocrinologists? Do you do this? Do you do that? Let's ask those questions because I, I don't think any of that. I, I have no – well, I haven't asked. But I assume that stuff isn't going on, to be honest. I really don't. And in terms of Yuri Nagus coming out of nowhere, the guy right there on the screen, Rojo, has been his like number one fan saying, this guy, look out, watch him. I'm not... If anyone, any American could have this breakout performance, it's not that shocking to me. It's really not. Are, are, are you guys shocked by this performance? I see this totally in the wheelhouse of someone like this. I think Cole Hawker could do something like this. Running super fast, three thirties, crazy times. Like I think with the shoes, this is none, none of these performances are shocking to me. <laughs> Thank you, Cole Hawker. Got sixth in the Olympics or fifth in college. But if, you, if you're doing that good, you're basically running three thirty, which is a three forty seven mile. For Marcus to act like he came out of nowhere is absolutely absurd. But you know, he says there's something enhancing his performance ability. I can't say what. And I do think that a lot of people have this question in the sport. 
because of, I, I said, hey, Jonathan, I'll tell you what it could be. But they have these questions. But before I do, full disclaimer, and this is what I'm going to say. So I played it both ways. I don't know who is clean or who isn't clean. But it does bother me intellectually that everyone who was a member of the Nike Oregon Project is viewed as being totally clean as snow and totally innocent, except, of course, for that evil man, Alberto Salazar. That being said, all of these innocent as snow people have greatly benefited from their association with Salazar, whether it's Galen Rupp, Mo Farah, Kara Goucher, Dathan Ritzenheim, Amy Yoder-Begley. Every single one of them is a prominent person in the sports, in large part because they worked with Alberto Salazar. So th that part doesn't make any sense to me. But it, Robert, you're mischaracterizing the situation. You honestly believe that in American running circles, Galen Rupp and Mo Farah are, are viewed as clean as snow? They've never tested positive. They've never been linked to performance-enhancing drugs. They're not the one... They, I mean, I'm not accusing them of anything, but I'm saying I think a lot of the American public, running di diehard running fans, views them with some suspicion because of their links to Alberto Salazar. Okay, and then you act like Jonathan. You act like Jonathan Marcus is crazy for applying that same thing to Ritz. I would ask Ritz, "Did you get massages from Alberto Salazar?" I've always wondered that before that marathon breakout in 2021, when he dropped the 207, supposedly when his contract was on on the line, or not 2021, whenever it was 2012 or whatever, 2016. Anyways, but I did. I defended them all. I said, "Look, this is simple to me. I'll say what is responsible for here Nagusa's rapid and impro massive improvement." And it wouldn't apply just to him. It would apply pretty much to any 23-year-old plus or older runner. The one time in life, your life at this age you'd expect to see a huge gain is when you, A, start running full-time for the first time and training more, which he's doing, and B, you start training at altitude for the first time. When Weldon Johnson did that at the age of 26, he went from 29.49 to 28.30 in the 10,000 like that. And then down to 2807. Marcus is seemingly trying to prove how smart he is, but he forgot about the, the simple concept that altitude training can very much act like a legal PED. 127 upvotes, three downvotes. That's your message post of the week. Yeah, congrats on dunking on a guy that pretty much everyone in the running world does anyway. But anyway, let's talk about some of these other races at Milrose. Women's 3000. I was very impressed by some of the runs in that race. I would say the entire top three, in fact, because I thought that Alicia Monson would break the American record. That was her goal coming in. She runs 825.05. She narrowly gets under it. The way she did it very much impressed me because she had a pace of 1K and then it was just up to her trying to do it on her own. And she did. She ran faster than she did in the Diamond League in Lausanne last year. That was a terrific run for her. But I was also very impressed by Whitney Morgan. Formerly Whitney Orton, the NCAA champion in cross country in 2021 for BYU, now running professionally for Adidas. She was hanging with Felicia Munson for a while and she didn't, she dropped off, but it's not like she totally collapsed. She runs 830.13. She beat some of the best distance women in America in this race. I was like, okay. You know, I feel like she didn't get much attention last year. She, she didn't have an awful year. She got eighth at USA. She ran PR in the 1500 of 404. But people weren't really talking about her the way they were when she was in college. This is my signal, like, okay, Whitney Morton's sorry, Whitney Morgan is back. 
this was a big time run for her. And then Caitlin Tui just destroys the collegiate record. 835.20. I thought she ran a very smart race. She talked with Coach Lori Hennis. She told her not to go out with the leaders, hang back a little bit. They had a pacer for the second group and then roll people up. That's what she did. She actually beat Elise Cranny in this race. Elise Cranny was only fifth in 837. A bit of a probably a bit of a disappointment for her. I didn't get to talk to her after the race, but the top three I thought were all fantastic. Yeah, I feel like we're, we're almost not giving Alicia Monson enough credit. I mean, this is an American record. She's at that level, right? Like she was a good collegiate runner, but now she's like essentially every time out American star level as good as it gets essentially on uh, it's she's just so consistent like I, I was standing next to her watching one of the races and I'm like wow you're 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 sort of that girl that's not the words I use but it's like you're here it's just now we kind of take you for granted you know everyone's always about the next great thing the next big thing Ona Goose is so shocking <laughs> like when you break the record and people kind of expect it we don't we don't give you enough credit and Whitney Orton Morgan I mean, she was an NCAA cross-country champion, John, but she never really did anything on the track, right? I mean, that's, I guess, not a fair assessment. If you're an NCAA cross-country champion, you're pretty good on the track, but she, no NCAA titles on the track, correct? Yeah, what happened was she got screwed by COVID because she was all set to win some stuff indoors in 2020, and then that meet never happened, and then she basically, I don't think she had eligibility after, you know, in 2021 or 2022. So I think she would have won some if that 2020 meet had happened. Well, John, that can't be true. Everyone got all their eligibility back. She probably still has eligibility now. No, they, they didn't get back. They didn't get back the 2020 season. You didn't? She didn't. No, I don't think they gave back the 20. I think they gave back 2021. They said that That's one didn't so, count. But so bizarre. That's she didn't right. have cross right. eligibility. Sorry, she didn't have indoor eligibility in 2021. That's why she ran cross. I think you're right. Like they like went overboard the next year, but originally they were worried about too many people having having scholarships. I think and like freaked out. And yeah, I think you're right. But yeah, she ran good in the mile at Doctor Sander. Now this, she's sort of like the unheralded breakout performer of the indoor season. Caitlin Tui. Whew. I mean, she beat the crushed the old record. What six seconds? Yeah. She's got super shoes. Schweizer didn't have them back then. So maybe the records are sort of equivalent, but we're like quibbling, right? Like she's as good as it's been at the NCAAs. Her progression to these this ranks, it's it's great. I, I, there's like no other ways to put it. Like it's with, on the women's side with these young phenoms, there's just worries of sometimes how they're going to finish out and, and or develop and each level is a big jump. I think this is it for her NCAs. Like I think after I don't think she'll come back next year. Well, this was my question to you guys because remember she has that NIL deal with Adidas, and I don't think there's after this 2023 season. I don't think really she has anything left to prove. She's destroying these records. She's winning NCAA titles, and I think okay, maybe if Park of Alby, who didn't run great in the 3K over the weekend, but you know, gave her a good run for her money in cross country. Maybe if Valby's sticking around as well, she's someone who could push her in these races, but I don't see a huge reason for Caitlin Tui to be racing against 
NCAA athletes when she's just so much better than them after this year. But at the same time, she's getting paid. I guess it depends how much her Adidas contract is. Maybe they'll bump it up if she turns pro full-time. She can start, start getting record bonuses. But one of the reasons we said NAL deals like hers might become more popular is it would allow them to stay in the collegiate system. And okay, you need to show up and run conference and NCAAs for your team, but you can also have all the support that still comes with being on a collegiate team. But yeah, my, my guess is after this spring, she will turn fully professional. I mean, she's getting paid. Who knows how much by Adidas? It'd be, it'd be fascinating to know. I think there's a couple of interesting things. One, I don't think any ideals are allowed to go after you're done with college. So the second she goes pro, conceivably Nike or somebody could step in. Now Adidas obviously will want to lock her down, but I don't. I wonder with and I have the deal if you even contractually get like the first of right refusal that sort of stuff. So her agent should be smart and almost open up the bidding again. But having said that, look, look, next year's the Olympics. Can't believe it's already here, but 2024 is an Olympic year. It's such the focus of everyone what they do. I think, you know, running the collegiate indoor season doesn't do anything for her. So I think that's when she, she needs to make the change. I could see her running cross country this fall for North Carolina State, staying under the NIL deal. Like, it's kind of a down period anyway. If she wants to help NC State win another title, why not do that? Then go pro. I mean, she, she, essentially, she, she she's getting paid and then just really cash in big at, at the end of the, 2023. But everyone made a big deal because she said in an interview with the NCA.com, they're asking about the records, indoor record, or the only NCA title she doesn't have is an NCA indoor title. And she's made some comment. I guess this is the last season to get that. And we were like, wait, no, it's not, you know. And he didn't follow up, but maybe in her mind they've discussed, like, yeah, this is it for you indoors. I'm all for people staying in college, but at this point, she should do whatever the hell she wants. She's thriving in college, but there's a financial risk. Well, we don't really even know the contracts. Do whatever you want, though, Caitlin. You've been amazing. Keep up the good work. I was really impressed by someone you haven't mentioned, John. Ellie Hennis. Is that her name? Yes. Lori Hennis' daughter. Like I know she won NCAA 5,000-meter title at NC State, but she actually went out ahead with on record base, you know? So I know she's not being coached by mom anymore, but that to me was like, wow, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's as good as Tui is, it's difficult as the pros, you know? And sort of unless you're at the Monson level, you're really, you're, I mean, you're still relevant on the U.S. level, but it's just, it's hard to make a big thing. And, you know, we had that discussion, John, on, on the text chain after the race, like, as good as Monson is, we're still more excited about Nagoose. Why is that? And I think the answer is simple. You know, Nagoose, if you lined up the best people in the world in his event, the mile or 1500, he conceivably could beat them all. Part of that's the nature of the events. It's a little bit easier doing the 1500 tactics play role. If you line up all of the good, if you line up the best distance runners in the world, we know Alicia Monson's not going to beat them. Like Stefan Hassan and a good day are a different level. What? Yes, but I would also say 
Alicia Munson has actually come closer to doing that than Yarden Goose has, Robert. Last year in Lausanne, she beat Sifan Hassan in that race. That was not Sifan Hassan at her best, but there were some really good runners in that 3,000. She almost beat Francine Miyazaba. She beat Beatrice Chabat, who was the silver medalist in the 5,000 at Worlds. She beat Margaret Kip Kemboy, who medaled in the 10K at Worlds. She beat a number of the world's best runners in that race. She wasn't particularly close at the Olympics or the World Championships, but I think that is the next step for Monson, is win a US title. That's something she hasn't done. And get to a World Championship final, and you're in the mix in the last couple laps. That's her, her next quest, because she's shown she's one of the best in America. She needs to, you know, then that's the next gap for her to bridge. That's crazy she didn't have a U.S. title because almost won a Diamond League before a U.S. title and now an American record. <laughs> Good for her. All right. It's time to give Josh Kerr some credit here because Robert gave him zero credit on the Friday 15 last week. I remember Robert was going through the 3,000-meter field and essentially concluded it was impossible for anyone to win except for Cupertia. And... Kubatia ran fine. He ran 734.70. Number five all-time USA indoors. But he was only fourth in the race. Joe Klecker beat him. That was another good run for Joe Klecker, 734.14. Luis Grijalva, who was fourth at Worlds last year in the 5K, he was second. But the winner in his first 5,000... Sorry, his first 3K for nine years, it was a PR of over a minute, 733 47 looked very impressive very strong and after the race he called in to the let's run.com track talk podcast and here he is hi boys the fake josh care here that melrose games went all right eh what you think robert i saw on the world famous let's run.com message board this week Fans are interested to hear what the fake Josh Kerr's got to say. Well, the fake Josh Kerr's interested to hear what intellectual gymnastics Robert's going to come up with to play the result. But to the fans, what I would say to Robert is, like Louise Guelva, like Joe Clecker, and like Cooper Tier, take the L, Robert. Excuses are undignified. Save the word salad. Jonathan, it's good to see you there. Enjoy the sport, being treated like a sport, a proper journalist. Asking proper journalistic questions. Unlike those clowns at Citus Mag. Hey, by the way, I wasn't laughing with you. I was laughing at you. Seth, I see you still microwaving coffee. Come on, pal. Phone the boys. We'll help you. Hey, Robert. I still love you, though. All right, boys. We'll talk soon. Cheers. Wow. I had not seen that or heard that. I'm surprised y'all didn't leave the show with that. Yeah, there's no excuses. My analysis of that race was completely off. I'm going to take the L. I gave Josh Kerr, I said, 0% chance of winning. And the first text I got from Ross McGowan was, wow, you missed that one. And then thank God Nagos did well in the mile and people can say, I know Nagos and I like Nagos. But it was shocking. I think I'm going to try to write something up in the week that was about this. Like, I yeah I I was all into Cooper Tier in this race because I try to use the same logic around here Nagus like okay guy moving to altitude although 
Huge on a little altitude in the past, got to Boulder in the summer and stuff. But I was trying to think who's going to make the big breakthrough. And I just, I was thinking, Kerr, he's not a 5K guy. But afterwards, I was kind of trying to analyze, like, if you compare Kerr, Whiteman, you know, Ingebrigtsen, you know, like the fastest guy at the 800 is is Whiteman, but he's the slowest at the 5,000. And then Ingebrigtsen's kind of, he's slower. He's the slowest 800, but he's got the best endurance. And then you've got Josh Kerr in the middle. He's kind of in between now. He's obviously got pretty good endurance, you know, better than Whiteman, but he's not as fast as Whiteman. And that's why you see why all these guys are players on the global stage. So super impressive. He's got to be pumped. I think for outdoors thinking I won an Olympic medal, had a down year last year, but I can do it again. Of course, he expects himself to win the gold medal this year. And he pointed out there's been four guys who have been in the last three global championship finals of 1500. Jake Whiteman, Jakob Ingebrigtsen, Timothy Chariot, and Josh Kerr. Josh Kerr is the only one who hasn't won one of those races. He was third in 2021. He was fifth last year in what was viewed as a little bit of an underperformance. And he said, going in, he's like, I didn't think I was in that great shape, and then I was running so well through the rounds. This guy's a stud. He's absolutely contended to win the gold medal, and this was a... Yeah, I, the question, I think, Robert, I will defend you a little bit. He hadn't run a 3K for a long time. So, and his 5K, he run, what, 13.21? It wasn't crazy, crazy impressive. Well, now we know Josh Kurt, who ran a half marathon a few months ago, very strong, took down a terrific field, Really impressive stuff. And I just loved his post-race comments. I don't know which one of you guys talked to him, but he said, you know, Ray Flynn, the meat director, Mo Rose was saying the Mo Rose, the Wanamaker Mile is getting hot. Do you want in? He's like, I've already got the Scottish records. I'm not interested in helping these other guys set records. He was like motivated to try to do something on his own, stay away from the milers and lay down a mark. Like the, not only just to run them, like 734 is good, but to win it is super impressive. So, but, you know, I think all the guys in that race, you know, or at least, you know, I mean, it's hard to believe uh, Jordy Beamish, who won last year, ran faster this year. So, you know, people have got to be, most of the people in there are going to be pretty happy about their fitness. Yeah. I mean, seventh place, Dylan Jacobs, 736. He almost broke the collegiate record. Uh, he ran faster than Yard Nagoose, his old Notre Dame teammate, did last year. Yeah. The one person who won't be happy is Nico Young, who was dead lost in this race in 751. I don't know. I mean, obviously that's not the Nico Young we know. So something went wrong for him there. But all the, the top guys, I'm sure will be quite happy. Cooper Tia, that's a very solid Bowman Track Club debut. 734. After a fall in winter, training under Jerry. That's a good start. Yeah, I, I think most of the guys should be pretty pleased with their performance in this race. I want to know though, John. Do you know who the fake Josh Kerr is now? Did did he did he dox himself with you? No, I think I I think he was alluding to I interviewed the real Josh Kerr at Milrose because I was thinking that the same thing. I didn't talk. I talked to some people, but pretty much all the people I talked to at Milrose I already knew. So I don't think I actually met the fake Josh Kerr. Okay. Still waiting. He's my white whale. Maybe Josh the fake is the real one. And was Josh Kerr laughing at Sidious Mag or with the Sidious Mag? Like, what's going on there, John? I don't know exactly what that comment was referring to, uh, but it may it may have been from the interview we did, but I'm not totally sure. 
but I'm fine with. I even texted my buddy. I said I'm fine with a real Josh Kirk calling calling in because I, I. Well, let's play for the audio for those who non-supporters club members. You're missing out the hot hot takes. Here was Robert on the Friday Fifteen. First of all, Josh Kirk. No, 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 zero chance. Like, don't even. I know that he's got the Olympic medal in the fifteen hundred, but this guy has no chance. There it was for the record. I had somehow forgotten that, but no, fake Josh Kerr. Maybe real Josh Kerr. Who knows? Guys, we're almost an hour in. We can't talk about Moose forever. I want to talk about this meet tomorrow in France. But there's an interesting thread on Let's Run. Who should have their pro cards removed after Mobros? Only one name struck me, and I, I kind of don't even want to punch down to this level. But when the meet came on TV, they were showing the B mile. Thank God they didn't show the high school mile on TV. I don't. There's just too many miles. You can't be running B heats on national television. I know the high schoolers were in it, but hey, if you want the high schoolers to break four, put them in the back of the of the Wanamaker mile. There was plenty of room for them back there to run their own race. Would have been fine. But I see some guy pumping his fist, celebrating, winning, beating a bunch of a pro, beating a bunch of high schoolers. And I was like, what is going on here? John, what was even the winning time of the B mile? 357. I know this wasn't BU. The BU track is probably one to two seconds faster for a mile. But I didn't like the look. Then afterwards, I looked up the guy that it was. I think he's a former D2 runner, so I kind of like this story. He's living his dream. Austin Miller. This is a terrible take. Terrible take. Yeah, Robert. Austin Miller. He's not even. He was some guy I'd never heard of. I was very impressed. He crushed those guys. Crushed them. He's not sponsored. I guess 10-minute lead. He's in a 10-minute lead group. He gets something there, but he's not officially sponsored by anyone. He gets stuff from Adidas. I was like, wow, this guy might be something. It was a dominating win. I was like, why are people criticizing this guy? The guy's, Robert, he's barely professional. He's got a job on the side. This is the guy we should be praising. Like, I couldn't believe people even were like, like, Robert, he crushed this field. There should be no B-mile at Milrose. But of some guy I've never heard of, I'm like, wow, this guy showed some talent. I was like, I want to know more about him. I can't believe we're saying he shouldn't get his pro card. He doesn't have a pro card. A guy like that essentially... Welcome to the pro ranks. Thank you very much. I was very impressed with you. Yeah, Ro- Weldon, 100% agree with you. Robert, this is a horrible take. He just won, for him, this is one of the biggest races of his life. It's on national television. He was the runner-up in the NCAA D2 1500 last year. He's 28 years old, according to Tillis Tapia, which is quite old. Like, he was running in NCAAs when he was 27. Is that even legal? But anyway, yeah, he should be pumped about that. Like, that was a... It was a good run. Like you said, Weldon, he closed very well. And he doesn't have an Adidas contract. I told to him after the race. He's just out there chasing his dream. The, okay. For you to stomp at it like that, I just, no, I can't support that. Because there were other guys in that race I've heard of, and he crushed them. There's other guys in that race on pro contracts. Why aren't we going after them, Robert? You didn't like some guy celebrating winning a B mile? If they have a race and you win it, you can celebrate. I'm sorry. That's how it works. Yeah, The B-Mile should never be on TV. There should not be a B-Mile at Melrose. Why are we wasting money on this? I hope no one's travel was paid for a B-Mile. All this other stuff. But 
I didn't like the concept of the big mile. Then I saw someone celebrating. I didn't know the backstory. I'll take an L. It's actually, I wanted his pro card stripped because I thought a pro should not be excited to beat a bunch of high schoolers. But this is an amateur beating a bunch of pros and some high schoolers. So well done, Austin. I said when I read the story, I was like, oh, he's a D2 guy. I don't want to punch down to this level. It sounds like a cool story where your dreams become reality. My bad. Yeah, I'm not sure there were any pros in this race, actually. Um, but that's a wrap on Milrose. Really fantastic meet. I love that it's one that just people take seriously. Like the OAC is like, okay, we're going to go to Milrose and crush. And people get in shape for it. Josh Kerr is like, yeah, winning 3K at Milrose. That's a, it's a fairly big deal. Christian Coleman taking down Noah Lyles. Coleman was pumped about that 60. This is basically like, he, he was very happy to have beaten Noah Lyles because he knew there was a lot of hype around that and he shut that down by taking care of business. So, great meet. But we're going to have another great meet tomorrow in Levin. And I guess the storyline here is the times are going to be really fast. They've been fast in this meet the last few years. But I'm most excited by this 3,000 because Grant Fish, he's flying. He, he didn't run Milrose. He flew over to France to run this race. And he's going up against some of the best in the world. Jacob Kropp, the silver medalist at Worlds last year. Thierry Ndika Muenayo, who ran 725 to win Monaco last year. Mohamed Katia, the bronze medalist in the 1500. Lamecha Gurma, the runner-up in the steeple and the World Indoor 3K last year. This field is very fast. They're going out and trying to run 724 or faster. That's the world record by Daniel Coleman, which has stood for more than 20 years. And... Fisher, I don't think it's crazy. We said on this podcast last week, it's not crazy to think he could be in this mix. He's beaten most of these guys in the past. He's supposed to be, I talked to his agent, Tom Ratcliffe at BU a couple days ago. He, you know, he didn't go out and say, oh yeah, he's in world record shape, but he said he's fit. He's ready to go. So this is going to be a big test against some of the best guys in the world. I can't wait to see it. Last night I got on the internet to write an article to let people know about this race. I think it's at 4.10 p.m. tomorrow on Wednesday. Because think about it this way. John, you're the, you're the one that's got the great memory, although you may not have been alive or you were quite young when Lunch One was started. Lunch One's been around since 2000. Have we ever, in that time frame, had an American lining up in a distance race with a shot at a world record. Well, we had one two days ago at Milrose, but... That's a middle distance race. The closest I can think we came was when Evan Jager ran Weldon's favorite race, his eight flat in Paris in 2015. He fell. The world record was 753. You would think if he didn't fall, he probably would have run 756 or 757. And then I'm starting to think, oh, could the world record be in play for Evan Jager? That, but he's still never broken eight minutes and probably never will. So that's probably the closest I could think of. Nothing else is coming to mind. Yeah, it, could, it couldn't come to me either. I think he's expecting, and no one was expecting Jager to get it. The winner of this race has a legitimate shot of breaking the record, and we can make our predictions whether we think it's going to happen at all, whether Fisher's going to do it. But, you know, it's not crazy to think that Fisher's three seconds better than Yard and Goose. 
you know, he's 3.34 seconds faster than the goose. He's got the world record. Yeah, he ran 728 last year outdoors and 12.46. And if he's a little fitter than that, he's got the guys to run. Now, when he ran that 728, that was a 725 race. And it was just, he hung back, which proved to be the right decision to do. But in this race, I'm interested to see what he does. Does he hang back like he did at Monaco and say, okay, 723, 724, that's a little too fast. I'll just try to run as fast as possible. Or does he say, all right, I'm just going to follow these guys, Gurma and Dikamawenayo, whoever else is going after it. I'm just going to hang on and see what I can do. I don't want him right on the rabbit. I mean, the paces we're hearing about are going to be crazy. Yeah, the pacing lights are supposed to be 59 seconds per 400. I don't know if they're going to do 59.3, which is world record pace. But, you know, the thing that worries me about this race is with Bowerman and stuff, those things are perfectly set up. We even saw it this year at BU. Like, they're generally starting a little bit slower and doing a negative split warming up. When, when Fisher ran his 12.50, was it three last year, John, indoors? Yeah. At 3K, he was only in 13.09 pace. Then he just slammed it home in 356. By the way, he has to run faster than 356, 1600 meter pace the whole way to get the world record. That's how good this record is. So I, I just, when I was analyzing it last night, I think it's going to be, I think he's going to work his way through the field. I think he'll start in the back, try to, you know, do a slight negative split. But I just think it's going to be, that's fast for him. I think he's more like, 510. His best results have come in the 10. The 15 is a little short for him. The 3K is more like the 1500 to me than it is the 10,000. So I, I think it's going to be a grind. But I, I, we saw Ritzenheim run through a 5K field. I think Ritz, I think when he set his American record in the 5,000, I think Fisher, if he's going to get this record, he needs to try to do what Ritz did in that 5,000. Just do it in the 3,000. Just run your own race, come in and try to get it at the end. But do we know anything about the rabbiting? I was really hoping that I know we have some boots on the ground in uh, France trying to get the de de details. I'm really hoping this guy, Ismail Debjani of Belgium, is the rabbit. He's got great that's, speed, 145, 333. That's not what it says. The start list has Munir Akbash of France taking the first 1K in 229, then Philip Sassenek of the Czech Republic coming through 1500 and then tom elmer of switzerland says his pb is only 804 for 3k and he's supposed to go through 2k and 458 that might be a challenge for him he has run three he's run 335 and 748 outdoors so yeah but that's well, the good pacing. so they've updated the pacing then john if it's 228 for the thousand yeah that's a bit slower than world record pace actually uh it's that's 726 pace. That's, this is what the official website has on the start list. Okay, because last night we heard from her boots on the ground that the pacing might, might be set at 59 seconds a lap, which is, I think, too quick. I think if you're Grant, you want to come through about 358. I mean, the pace probably be a little bit quicker than that. So, like, the leaders, you hang back in the pack, you're 357, 358, and then you go from there. Uh, if the record is broken, you got to win the race to get it. This is what's great about this race. It's not just a record race. It, it's it's not just a race against the clock. It's a race. There's 
three, four guys, five guys who could win this race, and they're going after the world record, that's what we want. That's what we saw at Milrose in that mile, right? So I think if you're – what did we see with Yard and Goose at, at Milrose? They had the pace set very fast. They then had to lag because it was too fast, and he still kicked and almost got the record. I think if you're Grant, you obviously don't want the lagging. Try to go out at the back of that pace. You got to be, I mean, you're, if you come through at four minutes, there's no way you're breaking the record, I don't think. I, I think that's too much ground to make up. You think you make up six seconds to second 1,400 meters? I mean, you kick big the last 400, you can make up a decent amount. But I think 358, 359 maybe, I think you want to be under four. But I'm, I'm not sure Grant Fisher is even thinking about this world record. I bet he's just thinking, how do I run fast? And more importantly, how do I win? And I think, like you said, well, about 358 coming through, hopefully you're feeling pretty good. At that point, you try to work up the field and just race, guys. Don't worry about the time if you're Grant Fisher. That would be my advice. Yeah, I don't think he's thinking about the record. But with the, with the pacing lights, they have the lights in Levin. And they, even if the, the rabbit goes out sore, they then can rig the light at the record to help you out. So if the rabbits drop off and they want to get the record, these guys are showed last year they were on top of this shit. You then can adjust the lights and have them like ramp up for the record so you have something to chase the, the last bit. I think that's the way to do it. It's going to be exciting. Have we even mentioned who else is in this race? Yes. You did at the beginning? Yes. So... At the end of my article, and I meant to put a poll up, I'll add it to, to the preview article. I was trying to analyze, like, who's most likely to win this race and break the record. And I ranked them in the following order. Mohamed Katir, who is the Spanish record holder at 15, 3, and 5. Put him number one. I put Omecha Gurma, steeplechase silver medalist, last three times at the Global Championships. Number two, he's run 727 indoors. I put Fisher three. Put him, Fisher ahead of of of, of, J, of Jacob Crop of Kenya, who was you know the world's fastest man in the steep in the five thousand last year, ran twelve forty five. Because I was looking at Crop, he didn't have a great indoor season last year. This may be a little bit short for him. And then the crazy thing is, though, this is how good this field is. The Diamond League record holder, Theory Indukanawau of Burundi, who ran seven twenty five in that Fisher race. I put him fifth because he only ran 342 and a 1500 a few weeks ago in a 340 race. So loaded field, so excited. But I started this preview because this is what I heard. I heard the lights were going to be on it. We've got to get this up. And then I said, who else is in this race? This race is, this, this, this meet is, it's not even, I mean, it's so much better than Milrose. It's wild. You've got Marcel Jacobs, Mondo Duplantis, Karsten Warholm, Femke Bull, Gudolf Sagai. I mean, Inger Britton set the world record in the 1500 in this race last year. He's going to try to do it again. Sagai set the world record in the 1500 two years ago here. Femke Bull, is it crazy to think she just became the first non-Eastern European woman to break 50 flat indoors? She ran 49.98 or 7 something last week. Could she break the world record, John? What is the world record? It's 49.59. She just ran 49.96. That's still a big improvement. I Probably not, but it's it's not inconceivable. Yeah. 
Krachikova's record, 49-59, has stood since 1982. Femke Bowl just ran 49-96. She's point three seven away from it. And this track is fast, right? Leaving's fast. We need to well, have... Well, for um, distance races, it is. But it is as fast as BU, because I think that's worth a half a second. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I think some of these stars, like Jacobs, Bowl, Warholm, they're all going to win because you don't, you know, you, there are only a couple people in the world who can compete with them and they're not running this race. But I love that they're there. And the 3000 is most exciting to me because that is actually going to be competitive, I would think. There are a bunch of people who can win that race. Same with the the women's 800. We're going to basically have a rerun of what we got in Turin, Poland last week. Keely Hodgkinson and Noeli Yarigo of Benin, who stunningly ran 158. Uh, age 37. They're going to be in there. Mary Mara, who did not run well last week, the world's bronze medalist. She's also in that field. So that women's 800 should be pretty good as well. And Gudolf Sagai is in the 1500. And the pace there is going to be pretty quick as well. It's 204 through 800. It seems to me they're going off to the world record, which Sagai already owns at 330, 353.09. Then you've also got Frawaini Hailu in there who won in her 3K debut last week in Torrent. So that should also be an interesting race. Okay, a couple of things about the pacing. I think I had a correction, John. I, th- I thought you said 228 for the 1,000. No, the, the pace in the 3K is 458 for 2K. So yeah, it says two twenty nine for thousand. Sorry, did I say two twenty eight? I don't know. I may have gotten it wrong, but I was like, oh, maybe four fifty come through and like three fifty eight, three fifty nine. That's essentially three fifty eight point. I think. I like it. I like it. They've backed off the pace. I think this is the way to do it. The more you think about it, John. So you come through in four fifty eight. You kick a fifty, then you go sixty, and then you have what another two hundred. So go sixty the next. 600 so you can even slow down and then you kick a 56 the last 400 you can still get the record right i think i think if you're going after the record you probably should go through a little faster but who knows like it might it says this is what what the pace is but they might be some you know there might be an agent or the athlete talking to the meet director and saying hey i actually want the pace like that i'm not going to take those paces as gospel but they've adjusted them and kudos to the to the meets right why doesn't every meet do this they have the paces on the start list and it's just helpful for the fans, helpful for the media. Like, and the men's 1500, it's another world record attempt. The pace is 220. You can do math. That means 330 pace. So assuming Jakob kicks, this could be the first sub 330 in an indoor 1500. And that women's 1500, 204. God, it's pretty fast. That is, uh, I think, 352 and change pace, which would be a world record. So this meet, you may have three distance world records, which would give credit obviously to the meet and the pacers, but also the shoes. And the pacer and the and the 15, Eric Swinsky. So you're you're gonna get what you ask for in that one. With a light and Swinsky? Oh my god. <laughs> it doesn't get any better than that. You know, 
Swinsky, with Swinsky, you don't need the lights, but it, with him having the light, it'll be even better. Right. How amazing is that? And the nice thing about the 1500 is, like, in the mile, I'd like to see him get at least 1,000. The 1500, it's not nearly as far of a race, so the rabbit doesn't go as far. It's not as big of a deal. But I, I think you're right, Well, Exactly. Like, get him to 2K and then let him race. And then the record could take care of itself in that 3K. So... Super pumped. I, I also don't think I mentioned Grant Hallways in here. John seems concerned that it's not a race. To me, what got me was just the stars, the star level. You know, you there, it's and there's really nothing in the last like ten minutes of the meet. I'm assuming they think we're going to have world record pole vault going on with Mondo. Like I think they probably timed it up, and it's like, how do you make a meet popular? John, you've got some notes here. There's a meet we didn't really barely publicize in Let's Run because it had no distance races. Is stuff Berlin meet? Had 10,000 fans this week, and you seem to know some details about it? Well, it's not uncommon. This meet gets 10,000 fans every year. I talked to that meet director a couple years ago, and you know, I was like, how the hell are you doing this? Because the uh, he's they're the same company, it's East Half. They put on the Bolin meet at the end of the summer, which typically draws pretty well. And essentially, it was like, how can we make this happen more broadly? And the things I got from talking to this the meet director Martin Sieber was that they try to get local stars so they want a couple German athletes some of the best athletes in Germany I, I didn't look at the fields for this year but this is his general philosophy you want people that the local fans know about and will come out to see you have fewer events so they like to hype up the presentation of the athletes do the intros LED lighting all this sort of stuff that's something actually would be fun because Noah Lyles, I remember he was on Instagram a couple of weeks ago saying like, what about intro music for all these athletes and the events? I'm like, hey, that'd be kind of a cool idea. You do these hype introductions. They did this for the Want to Make a Mile at Milrose, but they don't do it for every event because you don't have time for it. They do it at the World Championships too. I think it's nice. It builds the anticipation, makes it into more of a spectacle, but it's hard to do when you've got 15 events in two hours. When you only have six then you can really make every event special. So that's one of the things they do. It's also this company's a marketing agency. They're not working just with track and field. They're doing everything across all sports. They're promoting events. They're staging events. So they think of it as an event and not as a track meet. Then they've also got, because of that, they've got this massive database of people uh, they can email. Uh, you know, They have all their email addresses. I think it was like 100,000 names or something. And they can essentially say you know to try to get the word out and promote it so those were some of the things this was a few years ago when i spoke to him but those were some of the things he emphasized okay a couple of things robert said over ten thousand. it was nearly twelve thousand fans and i think less can be more no b mile at milrose scratch some stuff milrose puts on stuff like at 1 p.m so parents will come and try to buy tickets that arena seats nobody the strategy is to get a few hardcore track fans and parents to go. I mean, that's where track and field is kind of in America right now. But I think these Berlin people are showing in a stadium, less can be more presentation. But I think the days of stadium track and field might be over in America. I told my mother-in-law I was going to Milrose games. She's like, oh, at the garden, have fun. I did tell her the truth. I put a pull up on Let's Run. Should I tell her the truth? And I did. But... Do you guys know what also was missing? One thing 
we said there was less events. Do you know something else missing at this indoor track meet? Did they even have a track? Like, I think they had a straightaway, but I don't think the building is big enough to have a 200-meter track. There's no track. <laughs> it's an indoor track meet with no distance over 60 meters. And they got people. Now, as a distance fan, obviously this isn't ideal for me, but it shows. You're putting on an entertainment product. Maybe some indoor meets, they don't have any race over 60 meters. They got 12,000 fans for this. Good for them. And I cannot take credit for that. For discovering that, John. A Let's Run.com poster. Jay Rinaldi posted that 18 hours ago. Important to note. I started a thread saying nearly 12,000 fans went to an indoor track meet in Berlin. Jay Rinaldi posted, important to note, this was only a 60-meter track plus jumps. Now, Rojo, are you familiar who Jay Rinaldi is? No. You seriously aren't, Robert? I'm assuming he's Justin Rinaldi. I don't know who that is, though. Yes, Justin Rinaldi is the coach of Peter Bull. Peter Bull is the, was the fourth placer. He's the Australian record holder at 800 meters. He was the fourth placer at the Olympics in the 800. And he's the guy who had an A sample positive for EPO like last month. He immediately said, I'm innocent. Justin Rinaldi said he's innocent. This is there's something wrong here. I was like, if I'm giving anyone the credit about doubt, the benefit of the doubt, it's these guys. I don't know why. Just Justin Rinaldi's a longtime poster on Let's Run. And he just seems like a track geek. Like, I want to see what happens. So I, I looked up Rinaldi's post last night. And then it came out last night that Peter Bowles B sample came back negative. Well, that's what people were saying originally. It came back atypical. Essentially, Peter Bull has been cleared. His B sample was not positive. But then the doping authorities say, hey, this was it was an atypical B sample. That's not negative. We're still investigating. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. The rules are two positive tests. I'm sorry. This guy protests his innocence. We need to figure out what the F is going on here because I'm giving these guys 100% the benefit of the doubt. I mean, this is weird because it goes back to the to Bernard Lagat thing. And I'm giving Lagat more of the benefit of the doubt. Because when the Lagat thing came out, the A sample, I called up his coach, um, James Lee? Yes. His coach at Oregon, at Arizona at the time. And he had no idea. He's like, what are you talking about? Lagat's positive. That thing just seemed, that's the whole situation seemed weird to me. But maybe I should have given them more of the benefit of the doubt. I, I, I did. Like, I knew Bernard, like... I don't know, but it just the whole thing, I don't know. I've always been a little bit suspicious. Like, But that's unfair to these athletes. The rules are two A, a and B positive. Now they're saying, oh, it's atypical. You guys already slandered this guy, essentially. I, I think the rules should be test results are released. We have confidence in, in the system, but that's not the rule. This thing should have never hit the day according to the rules. You expect an athlete to be responsible if there's a trace effing amount of some system and you're saying you're banned for four years, then you guys follow the effing rules and don't slander this guy, essentially. Or explain what's going on. He, he just deserves an explanation. Absolutely yeah. well, then. Uh, because A samples, that, this information was leaked somehow. Now, Peter Bowl, I think he's the first one who announced this, but I, I'm assuming that's only because he knew there was a story about to break and he wanted to get ahead of it. Sports... 
Integrity Australia, that's the doping agency here that's been conducting the test. They say they're still investigating. They put out a statement today saying, yeah, the first, the A sample was an adverse analytical finding. The B sample is atypical. They're still looking into it. But I think they owe the public an explanation. One, how did this news get leaked? Um, and two, what exactly is going on here? What does this all this mean? Why is one atypical and one's not? Uh, because Peter Ball, part of his reputation, he'll never get back. That A sample, as soon as that news broke, people, there are going to be some people who are always going to be a little bit suspicious. I think he came out, he's defended it vigorously. He, his suspension has been lifted. I'm giving him a ton of credit here. I don't, I don't view him as a doper or anything like that. But getting that A sample leaked, I'd like to know how that came about. I just think Sports Integrity Australia, once this investigation's done, I'd like for them to make some of this stuff public. What do you mean leaked? Why are you guys assuming it was leaked? Because Peter Bowl said, I wish that the results of my A sample had not been leaked. I disagree He's claiming with this. it was leaked. I like the way this went down 100% entirely. 100% entirely. Like, it really bothered me the way the Shelby Houlihan thing happened behind the scenes. I was, like, they were trying to keep it hidden that she had tested positive hoping that they would be exonerated and no one would hear about it. To me, if someone tests positive, I want to hear about it. And I loved how this guy was adamantly saying, I didn't do it. I'm going to hire all the experts. We're going to get the B sample tested and I'm going to be vindicated. I didn't think, hey, he wasn't trying to hide it underneath the rug so that we hear about some cover up, blah, blah, blah. We would never know. People would know think something was covered up. I loved how it was in the open. Like, if, if it was me, I, I actually thought that he'd come forward. I wish that was the case. My A's positive, I'm coming forward and say, damn it, I didn't do this. There's something rotten. The fact that he's been vindicated, I don't want to hear this crap about atypical. They messed up. This gives me serious doubts about a lot of a lot of things now. Or maybe it's the way it's supposed to work. You have to have two. You could say it's vindication. But to me, we need to have this guy on the podcast. We need to have Rinaldi on the podcast. When I heard about this right before we recorded, I'm like, we should lead with this story because I'm surprised John's not taking a victory lap. Because if you have doubt in the anti-doping doping authority, then people like you who defend Shelby Houlihan are going to be more positive. Yeah, I guess it's it's interesting, Robert, because I do think we all preach for trans- transparency, and now we got the results of the A-sample out in the open, and I'm saying, oh, actually, it's a little unfair to the athlete. I think it's a tough thing to manage because, yeah, I, in general, I do I am a tra- fan of transparency. So I'm trying to think, like, oh, do I... Like, if he tested positive for an A-sample and then was cleared on the B-sample... I would actually like to know that, but I also think part of it's a reputation piece is if you test positive for an A sample, it's just hanging out there for a month or so until the B sample comes back. There is going to be some damage to your reputation you might never get back. And unless everyone agrees after the B sample comes back, oh, okay, this guy's totally fine. There's nothing to worry about ever. But I just, yeah, I, I don't, there's probably no perfect way to do it, but I loved how this was in the open. He wasn't hiding from it. He was saying, I'm clean. And then now, in my mind, he's clean. We'll, we'll, we'll hear the scientists say, but they said it was atypical. No, it wasn't positive. Therefore, I mean, are they saying it was tampered? I, I love, we got to get more specifics. You love how he's like defending himself. Robert was, it wasn't supposed to come out. He had to defend himself because it was leaked. I'm all for transparency. I think maybe a test should be reported. 
But obviously, any test has a false. Po- you can have false positive. I take a COVID test, you can have false positives, even if the like whatever. What's it called? The specificity and whatever the test. I'm sure every test has some false positive rate. Like there's no perfect test, so you're gonna have some false positives. But he clearly didn't want this out there. And the rules are the rules. I may we may want more transparency, but that's not the effing rule. This shit shouldn't have been out there. And th- they should be responsible because his reputation is, is damaged. But John, can you look what time you texted us? He was cleared last night. Uh, seven fifty-four p.m. Okay, interesting. That's good because I I was looking at Rinaldi's post afterwards, and I see a post from five twenty-eight p.m. yesterday from Justin Rinaldi saying, "For the record, we don't know the results of the B test yet. We are sitting here every day waiting for them to come through." Ask yourself, if you never, all caps, took EPO and a test comes back saying you did, wouldn't it be natural to question the test? Wouldn't you want to know how it could possibly happen? And that was in response to a thread started saying, Peter Bull already questioning legitimacy of B-sample. Good move. So, but John, so that came yesterday at 5.30 p.m. on Monday. What did we hear at Milrose Games on Saturday about 3 p.m. We heard the B sample was negative. Yep. We heard from a track and field insider, hey, the word out of Australia is that the B sample may be negative. How the hell does somebody know that and they don't immediately tell Peter Bull and Justin Rinaldi? It is interesting how that person knew and Justin Rinaldi said that they didn't know. Said he didn't know. So I almost reached out to Justin, like, hey, how come you guys haven't put this out there? We need to have them on this show. Yeah. But it's kind of like, how how had I heard in 2000 when we founded the Let's Run forums that Alberto Salazar was shady as hell and had done all sorts of questionable behavior before I'd even done it with NOP? Sometimes a rumor mills ahead of reality somehow. It's crazy. Well, I think the one thing I'm looking forward to hearing more about is the EPO test, because I I will admit before this whole process started, I always kind of assumed there is no way you can just have EPO in your system. It shows up. That's a substance you wouldn't take for any other purpose than doping. And now this whole episode's come to light. There have been some people in the forum saying, hey, actually the EPO test, there might be some issues with it. It's more of a degree thing. It's not just black and white. It's in your system or not. Maybe I need to be the person to look into this and do some research on it or someone else takes up the mantle. But we need to know if the EPO test, like, I think we need to know more about it because that is the, you know, it's been the distance running drug the last 10, 20 years. And if there's any sort of questions about the testing process for that substance, uh, they need to be addressed. All right, guys, we are going to have much more world cross country coverage later this week, but before I get on my flight this afternoon, I just wanted to touch on it briefly because I'm super excited. For this. I mean, these these fields, the men's field, we call this race the world's greatest foot race. That's what we like to refer to it as. Sometimes that's not the case. This year, I, I think it's pretty close to that this year. There's no Jakob Ingebrigtsen. There's no Grant Fisher. They're running indoors, which is still exciting. I can't get that mad at them because it's not like they're not wait, running Wait, 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 wait. What would Jakob Ingebrigtsen or Grant Fisher do in these races? Please tell me how, what Jakob Ingebrigtsen did at the World Junior Cross Country four years ago, John. 
wasn't he outside the top 10? And yeah, you got 12. You, Robert, you, you don't think that the you don't think the 5,000 meter world champion might be able to do something in a, the world cross country championships? Well, I don't know how, how flat this course is. I do not think he's the, he's the European cross country champion. He, he goes up, shows up. I know it's not the world cross, but he shows up at Eurocross and wins handily every year. You don't think he might be able to be a factor? I'd love to find out. I'm not, I'm sorry. I don't want to be come across as bashing the guy. He's running indoors. That's fine. But, you're just saying, oh, he just totally gets smoked. I don't think that's a given. He was smoked four years ago. I expect him to get smoked. I think it'd be cool if he showed up, but I'm just saying. And I, Grant Fisher never won an NCAA title. Let's don't let's let's don't fool ourselves. These guys would not be players. Be, be expected to get medals in, in this championship. Fisher's never even won a medal on the track. So, tell me who's in this thing. Joshua Cheptegei, defending champion. Jacob Kiplimo. Oh, he's also the world record holder in the five and the ten. Jacob Kiplimo. Second last time out, world half champ, former world, uh, sorry, current world half marathon record holder. Salomon Borrega, Olympic champion in the 10,000. Berhu Aragawi, 726, 1250, 26, I think 2640s, 2650s. Kibwa Kandier, former half marathon world record holder. Sebastian Sawe, Kenyan trials champion. Jeffrey Kamwaro, two time world cross country champion. That is a field to get excited about. That's amazing. And on the women's side, Latessa Becky Day, world's best distance runner, at least last year, I would say. Well, you know, Savannah Hassan, if she's healthy, you can have your argument, whatever. She's the world record holder in the 5K, 10K half marathon, world 10,000 meter champion. She's running. Francine Saba is there. And Saba nearly unbeatable on the track the last couple of years. Hasn't been, she was beaten in cross country earlier this year. She wasn't convincingly so, but she's an intriguing prospect. Beatrice Chabat, silver medalist at Worlds last year, and then Rahel Daniel, the uh, improving young Ethiopian who's been cleaning up on the cross country circuit this year. Women's race, not as star started as the men's, but I'm interested because this is like a legacy building event. If Gide and Cheptegei, those are athletes who. You could be one be one day be saying they're one of the best runners ever, or they could be in the goat discussion by the time their career is over. Winning World Cross—that's an event. If they're really the best ever, they should be showing up, winning World Cross, getting it done. But for Chapter Guy, certainly it's not going to be easy. It's also going to be very hot. Temperatures are going to be in the mid nineties in Bathurst on Saturday during the race. The races are in the evening. The men's senior race is not till 6.30 p.m. And I think at that point, it will have cooled down a fair amount. But still going to be warm. And that just adds another factor. Because remember, Joshua Cheptegei back in 2017 in Uganda. It's a pretty hot day there. And he wound up uh, really fading. Looked like dehydration at the end of that race. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just super excited about this. I think it's going to be epic, especially that men's race. And then the junior races, we always got the, the next great stars from Africa showing up. Plus, we've got Irene Riggs and what's young is it, Lex or Leo, John? Leo Young. Yeah, honestly, I mean, the men's and women's senior teams for the U.S., I don't really expect any of them to be in contention. And I don't expect Irene Riggs and Leo Young to be contending either, but I, those are, I'm pretty excited to see how they do in these races. 
I'm totally excited to see them, how they stack up and see which stars are noise. And then I'm very excited to see, well, I, I, I still think Wayne Kalati could be, be a, a big name in the U.S. scene in, in the years to come. And I'm very excited about Ma- Emmanuel um, Bohr. I'm excited about him too. He's run 13 flat last year and he dominated the U.S. cross-country champs. He did, they did gain on him a little bit at the end, but I think he's clearly the best American. He's talking about top 10. He's got big goals. He says he's going to go for it. He says he wasn't 100% when he bombed in our host four years ago. So I actually am excited to see how he runs as well, Robert. Now, race times for American fans. Four by 1500 meter. This is Eastern U.S. Eastern time, Friday night. 11.30 p.m. Four by 1500 meter relay. 12.10 junior 2K. race. 12, okay, 4x2K. 12.10 junior race. So just after midnight. So West Coast people, you're pretty good here. 12.50, another junior race. The women's race is at 1.30 a.m. East Coast time. The men's senior race is at 2.30 a.m. So it's going to be a late night. It'll be 3 a.m. before it's over if I'm watching it. This is disaster for Robert and I. Disaster. <laughs> yeah. My wife's out of town. I have a two-year-old. I'm like, wait, how am I going to watch and cover? Like, This is the absolutely worst time for an event on the East Coast for a distance fan. But also... Can I tell you the schedule a bit, John? And the 2K relay, that's a senior event. That should be right before the other two races. I don't like the schedule. The, the 2K relays, one, the U.S. has a great, I mean, well, two great legs. I think, John, you're going to have more on this. But on the women's side, we have Heather McLean and Emma Coburn. Great four by two. But Australia is probably the favorite with that. Ollie Hoare, Stuart McSwain. Abby Caldwell and Jess Hall. I would say they're the favorite. They're loading that race up. But I think that race really should be like right before one of the senior women's or men's races. The junior stuff is junior. It should be before. So ideally, if there was a television audience, it doesn't have to be broadcast for six epping hours. You, you could put some of the stuff on. But the race is on, C- at least some of the highlights, will be on CNBC in America. So set your DVRs. I believe Peacock's streaming it live. Yeah, but for the rest of people who actually want to, every hardcore distance fan in America obviously will find some way to watch it live. But if you're sane and want to wake up and watch it later, just put it on CNBC. Or obviously, I guess you could watch Peacock on demand. Well, West Coasters have no excuse. West Coasters should be watching this live on a Friday night. East Coast, yeah, if you want to find a way to stream it in the morning, I can accept that. My wife's in Paris. Should I take the kid and fly to California so I can watch the race at a sane hour? Fly to Paris. Watch it at 7.30 in Fly the morning. Oh, okay. 8.30 in the morning. Even if you're East Coaster and you're young, it's perfect. You go out for your night, your wild night. And then you come back and watch it as you have your nightcap. Yeah, hey guys, we're all, you know, six beers in and everyone's ready to go to bed. No, let's stay up and watch the World Cross Country Championships. I mean, if you're if you're a cross country team, maybe you make an event out of it and you say, hey, let's all watch this thing together. But if you're in a group with regular friends, I don't think that's going to be too popular. Robert. That's how you stand out. It's interesting. Look, you're at the bar and you tell the woman, I'm sorry, I got to leave. Show some interest in her. Get her to show I, I've got to go. I'm a track and field aficionado. And then you leave, and you say, wow, this guy's really interesting. Well, John's going to catch his flight to Australia. We're going to have a ton more for supporters, club members. You need to join today. Let's run.com slash subscribe to get our podcast from Australia, maybe on the course, John. I don't know. We're going to have a lot in store. I'm sure you're probably the only media there. But 
John, I hope you're packing extra. I've always wanted to go to Australia. I was going to go to this one. It just kept getting delayed. I sort of gave up. I'm like, when it was the first, the original schedule for 2021, I just was like going no matter what. And somehow two years later with a two-year-old, I just said, no, I'm not doing this. But John, pack extra because you never know. You may not come back for Australia. If you move down there permanently, we understand. So just take a couple extra things with you. I don't know. Like, I feel like that's like sometimes people go to people from Australia leave and never come back. The ver- reverse could be true. You still have a job with us. Yeah. Well, and I messed up. We both could have, our wives would have been happy probably for us to leave the country. We just never really officially asked. But I think we may have to do the live show the Thursday. We're going to do the recorded podcast maybe Thursday night. Maybe do it live because we've got to do the thing, John, where I want to get my iPhone right in front of the, over the toilet and you get your iPhone right in front of the toilet and we have split screens and we drop something in and we flush to see if they go different directions. Like that would be the most amazing things shown on the internet in the year 2023. That would be fantastic. It was the basis of a great Simpsons episode. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to flushing the toilet down there, Robert. Safe travels, John. Safe travels. I'm, I'm a little worried. You saved 100 bucks by going basic economy, so you might be middle seat. No, I, I was able to select my... They allowed me to select my seat, even though I'm basic economy. I don't know they could do that, but I made sure I go to I go to Nile seat for the flight to Sydney. I'm hoping there's no one else in my row. I'd like to be able to stretch out because I looked at... I mean, the t- it's 17 hours and 45 minutes flight. So I'm hoping I'm asleep for about half of that. And when you land, this will be the issue. Australians, can you help us out? Like, how can you get internet right away? Because they're leaving me, like, John might be in a car ride. Bothurst is like three hours away. He somehow needs internet. John, you've got your NordVPN, right? I do. On the phone. One button, you're there. Oh, I don't have it on my phone. I only have it on my computer. Download on the phone immediately, John. It's very easy. It's one button. Go to letsrun.com slash VPN if you don't have VPN. You can change your internet address to, like, pretty much any country in the world with one button. Super quick. But who knows how it's being streamed in Australia, John? You can put it where you need to be right away, but you got to make sure you got Robert. Make sure his internet works there. I was going to pay the hundred dollars for the internet while he's gone. Yeah, do that. All right, guys. Until then.